0: Last week we finished the series Hurting Souls and uh, we're working on a new series that's coming up but uh, before we get into a new series I thought I'd do some topicals on some issues that um, really need to be addressed with regard to the church. The message I'm dealing with this morning deals with corporate prayer and I preached this at the SGBA conference and. Those that were there and gave reviews says, you need to preach this at the church. So here I am this morning dealing with the same subject. I hope it will be a blessing and also a means of edification that will grow in our faith and understanding these things. So as we come to today's study, let's ask the Lord to be our teacher and we'll pray his blessing upon our time. Thank you, dear Christ, for sending your spirit upon us. We learned in the morning uh, Sunday school hour how we all are part of the body of Christ and indwelt by the spirit of Christ. So as we address one another, we're speaking to the spiritual aspects of our lives. We pray that your word, which is the sword of the spirit, would do its convicting work. If you need to cut us in terms of our sin and rebuke us in terms of our sin, then please do that. If the cutting is surgical to bring about healing, then please do that as well. We know that the sword is double-edged. It can do many things, and so we thank you for that. It's the work of God to build up His church, so we gather here to hear your word. It's It's the work of the word of God to bring the unsaved to a saving knowledge of you, so we gathered here again. Uh, to hear the word of salvation may you be pleased lord to meet with us in the name of jesus our savior we ask this with thanksgiving amen our subject this morning is corporate prayer corporate prayer and our text is acts 12. When we speak of corporate prayer, what do we mean by corporate prayer? You'll notice in your bulletin outline, the first thing then we want to consider is definition. And let me say a negative before the positive. Let me say firstly what we do not mean by corporate prayer. We do not mean 15 or 20 people all praying at the same time, in the same place, in the same room... In some kind of mumble jumble bedlam as is sometimes indicative of charismatic circles. Do you know that the scriptures condemn such? While these churches meet and do this kind of thing, they're in violation of the word of God. Let me read it for you. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Just think about that. I'm I'm stopping right there to pause at this verse. So these people are gathered in a group. Some are speaking. One person is speaking. Another gets a revelation. They have something to say. What should the first speaker do? Stop. He goes on. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets for God is not a God of disorder but of peace. 1 Corinthians 14 verses 29 through 33. Now the issue at Corinth was not speaking in tongues. That was a gift of the spirit for the apostolic age. They were part of the apostolic age. The issue was that whether speaking in tongues, that's languages by the way, or preaching, everyone maximized rudeness and threw decorum out the window. They all tried to speak at one and the same time. And Paul was saying, you can all speak but you have to wait your turn. Why? Because, he tells them why, God is not a God of disorder or a God of confusion, but of peace. That's why. And if you're all speaking at one and the same time, you have bedlam, you have confusion, you don't have peace. And, If someone retorted, Oh, but the Spirit of God has come upon me with this super-duper message for the church. It's so urgent. You just got to listen to me right now. Paul reminds them, the Spirit of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. Verse 32. Brethren, there is no such thing as God's Spirit driving you to be rude or pushy, a contributor to confusion, a contributor to bedlam, all in the name of urgency to speak for God. God is not a God of disorder. He is a God of peace. Let me illustrate. It took Jonah many months before he finally conceded to walk the streets of Nineveh as God had commanded him and proclaim the gospel as he had been instructed. It took him months to get from Palestine to Nineveh. Why? Because he was being rebellious, that's why. But God did not say, Oh me! Oh my, Jonah has rebelled. He's on a ship going to Tarshish in the opposite direction. I'll have to find someone else to hurry to Nineveh with my urgent message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. No, instead, God moved methodically, calculatingly, through providence to get what? To get Jonah where he wanted him to be. There was no urgency. There was no panic mood with God. We are the impatient ones, not God. So, the first thing about corporate prayer is not occasion for bedlam. Okay, what is corporate prayer? Well, corporate prayer is what we see in our text, Acts 12. Wherein Luke tells us that Peter had been imprisoned by King Herod during the Passover season with the intent of bringing him to trial and execution afterwards as he had already done with James. Killed James, executed James. The Jews applauded. They were happy about that. He said, hmm, this is a good way for me to get some political upbeat from the community. I'll do it again. So he arrested Peter. So what were God's people doing? Verse 5. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Acts 12 verse 5. Now here's my question. How do we know that Luke's reference here to the church praying does not mean each member of the church praying on his or her own? Well... Verse 12 tells us that when Peter realized he was no longer shackled in Herod's dungeon but had been released by an angel and was free in the street, we read, He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. That's the definition of verse 5. The church was praying. Not the church individually as we were learning in adult class this morning, but the church collectively was gathered and praying for Peter. The early church did not as yet have church buildings per se. So they met in people's homes or sometimes in the temple court. Mark's mother had opened her home and the church, now not all 3,000 people in Jerusalem, but it says many many from the church had gathered there to pray for the release of Peter. Now, we have many examples in the scripture of corporate prayer. We find in the days of Hezekiah, for example, the entire assembly of Judah rejoiced along with the priests and Levites and all who had assembled from Israel, including the aliens who had come from Israel and those who lived in Judah. And there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people, and God heard them, for their prayer reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. 2 Chronicles 30, verse 25 through 27. The church, or not the church, but Israel was gathered there, Collectively, and the priests and the Levites led all of them in prayer, and it says their prayer was heard because it reached heaven. Tomorrow's our pastor's fellowship, delayed one week because of uh, the holiday week last week, and I want to tell you that our pastor's fellowship, the uh, fellowship in Michigan. Praise for, we pray for the churches. We'll be praying for Thornville Baptist tomorrow. Whatever our needs are. And I usually express what those needs are and so forth. Coming together and praying collectively. Ezra was given permission to return to Jerusalem to help rebuild what the Babylonians had ruined in their siege. And we read there by the Ahava Canal, I proclaim to fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask Him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to Him. But His great anger is against all who forsake Him. So we fasted. Petitioned to our God about this, and he answered our prayer. Ezra 8, verse 21 through 23. And then verse 31 says, On the 12th day of the first month, we set out from the Ahava canal to go to Jerusalem, and the hand of our God was on us, and he protected us from our enemies and bandits along the way. Ezra 8, verse 31. A good thing because they were carrying. Great amounts of gold and silver for the temple, for the restoration of the temple. Again, when Nehemiah was making progress, closing the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem, Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs and others planned an attack to halt the construction. And we read, but we prayed. We prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet their threat. Nehemiah 4, verse 9 collectively they prayed after jesus purged the temple he said to the officials it is written my house will be called a house of prayer but you are making it a den of robbers matthew 7 or matthew 21 rather verse 13 and one more after peter and john were beaten for preaching the gospel they reported to the church. And here's what happened. The prayer of the church. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord... Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Acts 4:27 27-31. Church again, praying collectively. And my, the building shook because of the power of their collective prayer. Now, I could go on, but you get the idea, don't you? That the people who knew God, whether in the Old Covenant or the New Covenant, they would gather at times to pray as a group. And in those corporate prayer sessions, heaven heard and heaven answered in miraculous and stupendous ways. They could say, cause and effect. We prayed about this and God has intervened. They could see it. It wasn't like, I wonder if God's going to answer my prayer. They prayed and saw results. Now that brings us secondly to the benefits of corporate prayer. What are The benefits of corporate prayer. Well, number one and most important, affirms our obedience to Jesus, the Lord of the church. This should not have to be taught to you. It should be as natural as breathing air to know that God's people are to gather together and pray for their country. They're to pray for one another. They're to offer petitions. In thanksgivings and intercessions, they are to praise and worship God. They are to pray for revival, etc., etc., etc. What do we read of the brand spanking new baby Christians who at the preaching of Peter were saved and baptized and added to the church? We had it in our meditation reading this morning they devoted themselves to the Apostles teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Acts 2 verse 42, verse of the week. How do we know, here again I'm asking the question, how do we know that the prayer referred to here was corporate prayer? Well if you look at the context, Acts 2, We read, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Acts 2 verse 43 and following. Now there the collective church could really get together because the courtyard was big. So it's the church meeting together that's being devoted to prayer. It's not the individual members of the church praying in their closet at home. Jesus was asked by the disciples, Lord, teach us how to pray. And He gave them this answer. And I'm reading it from the King James Version because our modern translations do not distinguish the pronouns. As being plural or singular. But listen to the way Jesus responded. And he said unto them. When ye pray. Say our Father. Who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done as in heaven. So in earth. Give us day by day. Our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we also forgave everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Luke 11, verse 2 through 4. The whole instruction here is not on personal prayer, but it's on corporate prayer. When ye pray, Our Father, give us, forgive us, lead us not into temptation, deliver us, 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 our Jesus instructs them how to pray. It's in the area of corporate prayer. And this is so plain as to be beyond question. When you refuse to meet with your church corporately to pray, you are in violation of the commands of Christ our Lord. And then you wonder why your prayers for your personal hurts are not answered. Now I'm saying, corporately, you should be here to pray with us unless you're providentially hindered. You're sick. You're incapacitated in some way or whatever. You have a flat tire. the hot water heater exploded in the basement. Something <laughs> providentially that hinders you. Secondly, the second benefit is that corporate prayer moves the hand of God in ways that personal prayer does not. Again, Jesus to His disciples. This time it's, they're standing by the withered fig tree. King James Version again. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye will receive them, and ye shall have them. Mark 11, verse 24. It's again, reference to them when they pray corporately. one another of these promises which we are all too quick to apply to our personal prayer life, but Jesus is talking about the disciples gathered collectively to pray. Now you might ask the question, well, what is it about corporate prayer that emboldens God to be more ready to answer than when we pray privately? It is, by the way, it is very uh, possible that a church family gathered to pray acts more like enemies than friends and more like pagans than Christians. That is possible. We have an illustration of that in the scripture. Listen to James' analysis of the Wednesday evening prayer service. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel, you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James 4, first three verses. And all these you's here are plural, so he is addressing the church. When you come together and you're, you're praying, you're, yeah, you're corporately together, you're praying collectively, but you're not still not getting the answers to the prayers because they're sinning in their prayer time. When I was growing up in my home church in Pennsylvania, the quarterly business meeting was always held on Wednesday evening after the <clears throat> prayer service. And I can remember the very people who prayed but 30 minutes before on their knees now standing in a shouting match trying to score points for their agenda on some item of business that they wanted approved or voted down. And that stuck with me. But it's not a good memory of a praying church, let me tell you. And James' description of the fighting church makes me more cautious when I am praying in the corporate setting of the church. I watch my phraseology. To borrow something from the movie Music Man. I try to remember that others are listening to and entering in to my prayer as I lead the group in and it becomes their prayer as well. I try to think of the big picture and not the mirror on the wall. I understand something else. I consider Jesus' endorsement of corporate prayer and the implications thereof when he taught. And here it is. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything that you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Matthew 18 verse 19 and 20. And yes, I understand the context which is talking about agreement with regard to church discipline. But that said, Jesus is still talking about prayer and what, if any, guarantee we have that we will receive what we're asking for. The sin of James' audience for which he rebuked them was that they were at each other's throats fighting for supremacy over the next guy vying for first place, and seeking God's intervention only to gratify their own loss. But what if, as Jesus has indicated, there were agreement instead of division, unity instead of hostility, and love for one another instead of greed? Then what? Well, He tells us what. If two of you on earth... Agree about anything that you ask for. It will be done for you by my Father in heaven. It's a benefit of corporate prayer. Why would the Father be more disposed to answer this kind of corporate prayer over the self-centered prayers that we often pray? Well, Jesus answers. And here it is. Where two or three come together in my name, there Am I with them? Let me put it this way. If Jesus is there, then His endorsement is there. If Jesus is there, a sure answer is imminent. Martha at the tomb of her dead brother said to Jesus, But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. John 11, verse 22. And in verse 41, we hear this confirmation of Martha's faith. So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know, or I knew rather, I knew that you always hear me. But I said this, for the benefit of the people standing here. That they may believe that you sent me. John 11 verse 41 and 42. Brethren, in corporate prayer where there is agreement and prayer on righteous issues, Jesus is there. And if Jesus is there, he is the intercessor the Father will not deny. Uh, But there's one thing more. It's a promise. And we have it in John 16. Jesus said to His disciples, Until now you have not asked for anything in My name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, no. The Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. John 16, verse 24 through 27. Unity in corporate prayer moves the hand of God to answer because then it is that we demonstrate real love for Christ and His people and not just lip service. And prayers of this sort are hard to muster in the privacy of our self-centered world. Corporately, we can think collectively. And that's why I believe that God answers corporate prayer in a way that He often does not answer our singular prayer in the way that we want it answered. He answers, but lots of times He says no, or wait, or not yet. I can tell you, with regard to our church, on corporate prayer, that we have prayed things, prayed for things, on a Wednesday night, and by one week later, the next Wednesday, we see an answer from God. We see an intervention from God. But I can also tell you, from personal experience, that me praying home, personally for a particular need, I've waited weeks and weeks. And weeks to hear an answer from God other than wait or no. Thirdly, a third benefit of corporate prayer is the reality of being apprised of and sharing burdens with one another. Let me ask this searching question. How well do you know Families of the church. Jared's teaching on the church as the body of Christ in the adult class. How well do you know the families of the church? Do you know their needs, their hurts, their limitations? Do you? There is in America what I'm going to call the cult of privacy, it's a cult, it's cultish. Used to be until they passed privacy legislation. For every business with whom you have a financial dealing, you will receive their privacy policy in the mail. And they will assure you of keeping your private information secret. And in that document, they will say if they have to share your information, they will tell you under what circumstances and to whom. They will share that information. How that will be done? Why do they? Why did they come up with it? Because everybody's paranoid about knowing what the other person's doing? Well, let me tell you, the privacy cult is also alive and well in the church. The more we think about gossips and backbiters, especially if we have been. Receive the brunt of such. The more we love the idea of keeping our mouths shut and our opinions and heartaches and concerns and dreams to ourselves. We do not come out to corporate prayer because we have no intention of disclosing to the brethren our deepest apprehensions and hurts and worries and fears Or fear that somehow we will be viewed as less than godly. When it is revealed that we have an anger problem or a uh, sexual problem or a jealousy problem or a bitter spirit of resentment or trouble in our marriage and family, we're not going to say anything about that. (laughs) We have forgotten, and Jared brought this out in the adult class this morning, We have forgotten that everyone in the public prayer meeting including us is a rescued sinner who if it were not for the sustaining grace of God would immediately plummet into the depths of hell and deservedly so. The title saints that is given to us in the scripture has to do with the work of God's Holy Spirit sanctifying us and making us the people of God. There are none righteous. None righteous in themselves. No, not one. And if we cannot admit this among the brethren, then we have missed the very essence of grace. When Jesus was eating in Matthew's house along with other tax collectors and sinners, the Pharisees questioned him about doing the, Oh, I wonder if he knows he's eating with sinners and these people that... Filch others of their money and overtax them and so on. There's some prostitutes in there too. They're all at the same table. wonder if he knows about that. Here was his answer to them. He knew their thoughts. He read their thoughts and he said to them, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew 9, verse 13. I'll bet that went through them like a bolt of lightning. Here, you guys, you're all wrapped up with whether or not I'm hobnobbing with sinners, eating from the same table, dipping my hand into the same bowl, and so on and so forth. You missed it, guys. My mission is not self righteousness. My mission is to come and minister to sinners. Simply put, sinners is where you will find Jesus. His fellowship is with sinners. And if your sin is something you try to hide and are afraid to pray about publicly for fear others will discredit you, you need to understand this morning that you are missing out on the good company of the redeemed whose prayers are the very vault into heaven's arches where God hears and heals. Get the collective mind of the church behind you and praying for your problems and you're going to see some results. And what about those special needs for which a collective mind in agreement may be the very petition that touches the heart of God. A Peter in prison. A Nezah on a dangerous journey. A Nehemiah with the enemy at the gate. A church under persecution. A country on the brink of moral and financial collapse. Just this past week, Yusuf Nadakarni The Iranian Christian pastor who's been in prison for 3.5 years was released by the Iranian government when he was previously under the sentence of death. Vision of the Martyrs, other Christian organizations put out the word more than three years ago and we've been praying for this pastor in a Muslim country under Sharia law he was sentenced to death. For what reason? For becoming a Christian. You think you got it tough. But the world of Christendom prayed and he was released. Now these are very serious issues which I suspect Paul had in mind when he told Timothy I urge then, Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 five. Oh, those special times when we need the collective mind of the church to pray for us. By the way, our prayer chain that we have here at our church and you receive calls when we have special needs to pray for that comes from the principle of corporate prayer. Let me say it this way. It is a subset to corporate prayer, not a substitute for corporate prayer. We're going to continue to do that, continue to call people when needs arise between Sunday and Wednesday or after Wednesday to Sunday. But we're going to gather on Wednesday evenings at the stated prayer time and pray as a group. Now that brings us lastly to objections that people have to corporate prayer. Here's some of the objections. Not all of them, but some. I can pray alone. And my answer to you is, yes, you can. You can pray alone. And you can also hurt alone, and cry alone, and worry alone, and fear alone, and lament alone, and be indecisive alone, and err alone, and have sleepless nights alone, and experience isolation, depression, and loneliness. You can all do that alone. You can also face the chastisement of God alone, and the misery of His adverse providence in all those times when mystery and uncertainty dry up your faith and leave you wondering and questioning, what is God doing? What's going on in my life? Because the heavens are brass, though you're praying alone. So I would say, yes, of course, you can pray alone. Jesus prayed alone. We read very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where He prayed. Mark 1, verse 35, that was his practice. He did do that. But, but, when Jesus was facing his greatest trial ever, he went with his disciples to a garden site and said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Matthew 26, verse 38. I want you to note here that in his deep sorrow, Jesus did not value isolation. No, he valued the listening ears and the praying lips of those who had been with him through thick and thin for three years. He knew the value of partnership in prayer. And he said, I need you guys to pray with me. And I brought you here to the garden because my soul is just overwhelmed. And then sorrow was added to sorrow when Jesus returned from his own prayer and found the disciples asleep. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, Matthew 26, verse 40. Peter, think about that. Mr. Spokesman, Mr. Braggart of the group, of all people, should have been alert and partnered with Jesus in corporate prayer. Why? Jesus tells why. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Matthew 26, verse 41. Had not Jesus, prior to this garden experience, told Peter, you know, you're going to deny me tonight. Yes, you can pray alone, but You will do better when you pray with others and tap into the collective mind of those who love you and are partnered with you in the faith. Second objection. I don't know how to pray in public. I don't know how to pray in public. Well, it's easy, though many make it very hard. And here's the first secret. Think we, not me. That'll make it easy. Think we, not me. While the pastor or the elder takes prayer requests, pick one or two that are meaningful to you. Usually, prayer requests fall into categories the sick, the elderly, the financially stressed, the unsaved, and the list goes on. But think of prayer as praise, too praise and thanks to God for who and what He is as well as for what he has done. The series we're learning on Wednesday night from Dr. Sproul is on the character of God. In this past week, we learned about the aseity of, the aseity of God, which is, most people don't even know what aseity is. The fact that he has no beginning and no end, that he always was. He's self-existent. That means no man made God. God is before all men and before all of creation. That's something to praise God about. And the Bible tells us what He is. Aren't you glad that Jesus could say, No one is good except God alone. Mark 10, verse 18. Good in the sense of Hannah's accolades in her song where she sings, There is... No one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. 1 Samuel 2, verse 2. Think how life would be totally unbearable if God were not good. Just take that one trait away from Him. Goodness. There's no end to the character traits of God for which praise should be offered. But what if God were Not good. What if he were wicked instead of holy? You and I would be in trouble. You and I would be in trouble. So the first secret to corporate prayer is think we, not me. Second secret, think sentence, not book. Public prayer is not the time to wax eloquent with your theological treatise. Some people like to hear themselves pray. What we are to strive for is that God may hear us when we pray. We read, going a little further, this is about Jesus. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will but as you will. Matthew 26, verse 39. Note, brethren, the humility is there. He falls on his face. The relationship is there, Father. The request is there. If possible, take this cup from me. And finally, the willingness to accept God's will is there. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's all in a sentence a sentence. Don't make more of public prayer than necessary. Few choice blooms will say far more than a rambling rose. Third objection we have is this. My business is my business. The corporate prayer service of the church is not a place to hang out your dirty linen for all to see. So if you're thinking that that's what corporate prayer is about, then you're wrong. James 5, verse 16 is misused, I think abused, where James says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Talking about the sick person. The sin confessed is the sin that was perpetrated against a brother or sister in the faith. The confession is for the ears of the one that you sinned against. He's not saying, come collectively together and everybody start telling your sins to everybody. Boy, I could see how that would really do a tremendous harm in the church. Jesus put it this way. If you're offering your gift at the altar and, and there you remember, you remember that your brother, your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, you go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Matthew twenty-three, Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24. You see, it's personal. There you are, you're worshiping God and you remember, oh, Me and Joe, we had a fight this week. We had a disagreement. I better go and get that straight and then come back and worship God. See, it's personal. You you confess to the person that you've sinned against. You get right with that person. Now, if a sin has wide-scale public knowledge, such as gossip or immorality, theft, and such like, so that the church at large and even the community has heard of it, then yes, a public confession is not only advisable but necessary for forgiveness and restoration. Matthew 18 addresses a brother's sin which has become well known, but he refuses to repent. and So this is to be told to the church. Sins of a scandalous nature are to be confessed before all. But otherwise, you just make things right with the person that you have wronged and you pray for healing. Pray for restoration. Whatever your objections to corporate prayer, you are not the deciding factor. God is. And what is good for your soul is good for the church. And the church is the body of Christ. And Paul's thought is worth considering. He says in writing to the Roman church, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there. So that God's, by God's will, I may come to you with joy. And together with you, be refreshed. God of peace be with you all. Amen. Romans 15, verse 30 and following. Amen indeed. I think we've sinned as a church in terms of this subject of corporate prayer. There are times on Wednesday night when we have three people here to pray. And we pray. Three, 30, doesn't make any difference. We still pray. We're praying together for a church of 50 people. And three are here. Is it any wonder why we struggle for such things as church attendance or the finances to do the things that we would like to do in terms of missions or even improvements on the building or caring for one another in need and so forth? Is it any wonder why our families struggle with the things that they struggle? And we say, well, that's personal. Well, yeah. It's personal. But you're part of the body of Christ. So I want to tell you that if you're hurting as a family, it's affecting this church. If you're hurting financially, it's hurting the church collectively. If you don't have employment, it's hurting all of us. And this church needs to collectively pray about that because we know the God who can correct all of those situations. If we just get the idea that we're and Jared's teaching on this on Sunday morning, that we're interconnected. We are that. We don't have to uh, try to orchestrate that some way. We are that when we were brought into the church by God's Spirit. We're members of the body of Christ. He's the head, but then all of us interconnect and are to grow up together and edify the body together. So I'm challenging you this week. This is it. Think about corporate prayer as one of those connective tissues that reaches the heart of God. Can we get a collective mind on a particular subject? We can all pray about that. You'll see God move heaven and earth to answer the prayers, the righteous prayers of his people. I'm going to close with a story. In my Pennsylvania church, we had a woman with terminal cancer. was not in doubt. She had gone to a number of physicians. She had been tested at infinitum. This test, that test. Bad news. There was a special hospital in New York, and I'm from Pennsylvania. There was a special hospital in New York, and the physician said, We want to send you up there to see if they can help you. It's a long trip, it's an arduous trip, you're not in the best of health, so we're going to send you to New York by ambulance. Does that tell you how sick this woman was? So they came, they did it, and so forth. We gathered as a church to pray for her the morning that she left. Prayed. All that That's the only thing we prayed about on that Wednesday night. We didn't pray for any other requests. And yes, there was a lot of repetition. And yes, everyone went around and we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. She got up there to New York. They ran their own tests because they don't, you know, hospitals don't like to take the word of somebody else so they were in all her own tests ding-a-ling-a-ling i get a phone call from her in new york pastor they cannot find a spot of cancer in me not a spot faithless me says oh that can't be so Didn't you have this day? Yes, I had that. Didn't you go to that doctor? Yes, 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 yes. She had jumped through all the hoops and it was negative, 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 downhill, downhill, downhill. And they were saying, you only have one chance. and That's that hospital in New York that specializes in your problem. No. She had another chance. She had the power of Almighty God Her Savior, our Savior, our church collectively praying for her. Her cancer never did come back. She died of old age. The power of collective prayer. Was her husband praying for her? Yeah. Was the church praying for her through? We knew this. I mean, this didn't happen overnight. So we're all praying, you know, individually in our homes and so forth. We're praying for her. But the leadership of the church got its heads together and said, you know, we need a special prayer meeting for her. Just, we won't pray for anything else. We'll just pray for her. And so we did. And God intervened. And that's what He can do in your life whatever your problem is, whether we pray for just one thing on Wednesday night or a number of things, God hears the collective prayers of his people. Let's pray. Thank you, O Christ, for the power of answered prayer and the fact that you invite us to pray. And you say things like, cast all of your cares upon me for I care for your souls. I am meek and lowly of heart and you will find rest." You tell us that. James tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is effectual, accomplishes much. Now think collectively as all of the righteous of this assembly gather and pray. Man, would we not see tremendous changes in our church and in our families if that were the case. I thank you for the power of prayer. And it isn't because we have some kind of formula that twists the arm of God in a special way. No, we're just being obedient to what you've commanded us to do. And you honor obedience to your word. So this morning, Lord, as we close this session, we pray and we pray for the unsaved among us that today, collectively, we're praying now that you would bring people to know Christ that don't know you. Grant them that repentance unto life. Grant healing to that sick person that the doctors have kind of washed their hands. Nothing more they can do. Praying for that one that has financial needs, needs a job, needs work. Lord, whatever our need, if it's righteous, if it'll bring glory to you, if it's your will, may it be done.